Hello and welcome to Mike's Open Journal and to episode number 85. Uh, again today I am delighted to introduce you guys to a brand new guest, uh, Mr Christopher Paul Jones. Um, and we spoke a little bit about anxiety and phobias and I kind of got a bit of a free session here so it was really cool to um, sit down and chat with Christopher and actually I guess to not talk about just examples or scenarios or um, kind of made up things. Uh, We spoke about our own experiences, our own thoughts, some of the things that we struggled with uh, and Christopher kind of gave me some ideas about the different ways that we think and we perceive things uh, and some of the processes that go on there as well. So it's really cool to talk to him to find out a little bit more about some of the stuff that he's done, um, particularly with uh, a load of different media links as well. Um, So we're going to have, again, as always, all of Christopher's links will be at the end of the podcast and in the description as well. So definitely make sure um, you check him out and have a look at all of the different things that he's got going on. Um, It's also worth noting that he's got some uh, free products and links and things like that on his site, which is ChristopherPaulJones.net. So you can go there, find out about some of the free resources. I think there's like a free consultation, like a short consultation as well. Um, So you can have a look at that. Um, definitely worth having a look. Again, I think it's really interesting to find out about all of the different guests that come on. Um, and I find it quite interesting to see some of you guys talking to them after the podcast as well, which is really, really cool. Hopefully you enjoy this episode. And if you are interested in coming on as a guest yourself in the future, please do get in contact with me. Uh, happy to discuss different topics uh, and ideas as well. So I know there's a couple more coming up think probably next month now well yeah this month's pretty much over uh so next month uh we're looking at a couple of different topics so that will be cool to share with you guys as well uh one last thing before i drop you into this episode is as you may have noticed um on the website or on twitter i've started talking a lot more about the mental health blog awards um so there's gonna be more information coming out about those in the coming month or so um so we're still accepting uh, nominations. There's still information going up about those uh, for the event in July. Um, so definitely have a look. Again, all the information will be on the website, which is mikesopenjournal.com. So I'm going to drop you straight into the conversation from uh, last week with Christopher. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it and I'll talk to you soon. So generally, like I start off, a lot of the podcasts we're talking to people about how we first met or how we first spoke which for us is now so that's a bit of a pointless one to start (laughs) off with um but I don't know if you're happy to sort of give me like a little bit of an intro to like yourself um and kind of we've started talking obviously around the the stuff that you do with phobias and Mm. um flying in particular which just felt very timely for me because I've just come back um, from like a four day trip to Ireland. Oh yeah. Um, and my flight out there was the worst, probably the worst or the second worst flight I've ever been on. Oh well, maybe we can cover that. Yeah. Um, which oh, oh, I just I don't worry about them, but yeah, it's issues. I have issues when we, when I'm in flight. It's that right. taking off part, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. Um, 
So, yeah, okay, well, cool we can discuss about, that because uh, you, you could be you could be quite a good demo subject, but you'd be quite a good guinea pig. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you happy to tell us a little bit about um, yourself, really? Yeah, well, um, my name's uh, Christopher Paul Jones, uh, Chris for short, and uh, I uh, basically work with fears, phobias, anxieties. Um, I'm based in Harley Street in central London, and yeah, one of my niches, you could call it, is fear of flying, is is helping people get over their fear of flying. I think... I just... I, I, it was just really kind of... Ironic isn't the right word... Um, like the time that we sort of started talking about um, doing the podcast together and um, yeah. it happened to be around the time I obviously had that flight in. I just remember thinking, oh, I wonder if this is, like feeds into that sort of stuff because it's not a phobia, like I don't, I'm not worried about flying. Um, but I do have that moment sort of when you're taking off and I'm like, oh. So what is it you're doing when you're taking off? I don't want to get into intervention Straight early on. I'm a good case study. Um, no, it's just I think it's the the un like it feels unnatural and it's something that you don't do regularly enough, I guess. So it's right. not. I think it's probably not necessarily like the flight thing. It's just it's something different. Oh well, so uh, so and this is the interesting thing when it comes to flying because so many people, like 90% of my clients come and go, well, I'm not really afraid of flying. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm afraid of A, B, and C. And the thing about a fear of flying, and I talked about this in a recent video, actually, is um, that a fear of flying can be broken down into many different phobias. So for some people, it's uh, a fear of the heights. Hmm. For some people, it's uh, the fear of being confined and knowing you can't get off. For some people, it's fear of the movement the turbulence mm. for some people and it could be a, obviously a combination and for some people especially when um they've suffered from anxieties or panic attacks in the past yeah it's the fear of uncertainty you might want to call it so the fear of i don't know the pilot this this doesn't feel right what does that engine noise mean all those things going on and it's actually a fear of not being in control effectively and sometimes it's a fear of embarrassing yourself so again if you've had panic attacks or something like that in the past Mm. your mind is actually going yeah but what if i have a panic attack what if that and it's um you know what they call in cbt terms fear of the fear um so even within one phobia like flying, when most people go, oh, I have a fear of flying. Oh, yeah, me too. There, there can be a lot of different things that are, are at the root cause of it, really. So is the the fear of the fear? Yeah. Because I've, um, I've had uh, like group and one-to-one therapy before where they talk a lot about, um, is it like you sort of invest in an emotion? So the thing that is causing the issue isn't the first emotion it's almost a secondary emotion yeah so it's fine to be sad for example but it's being angry about being sad yes i I think that that's absolutely right and um what i would sometimes say to clients going back to the flying is or or and in many cases actually a fear of uh, fear of not being able to cope you could call it Mm. a fear of losing control a fear of embarrassing yourself they all come in the same category really it's a fear that that you're not in control of your emotions you could call it um, and yeah, it's, it's like you have two phobias. You created a phobia in the moment of whatever it was. And then you have a phobia of that phobia, every experience yeah. phobia, which is how I sometimes explain it to clients. Yeah. I think for me, I don't, I don't know. I feel uneasy sometimes with heights and I yeah. think it's that, um, it's definitely the, the com- being confined 
um, and the like the loss of control. Yeah. Because um, I think I almost get to the stage where it's the taking off part where if something goes wrong, it's going to impact on you. Whereas I think I get once you're so high um, and you're essentially in flight, I'm yeah. like, wow, well, if something goes wrong now, I'm either going to be fine or I'm going to be dead. Like, yes. And then it, the worry essentially goes because you're yes. like, oh, I'm going to die. That, it doesn't matter. Yes. <laughs> it's that it's the takeoff part because you're like, something could happen now and I will survive, but it will impact on me in a certain way. Okay. I, I don't know if it gets to a certain stage where you're like, well, if anything goes wrong, I'm going to die. It doesn't matter. So I, I don't know if you're happy for me to go into intervention here, but I can explore more on that if you want me to. Oh, yeah. Give me um, a little bit. Yeah. Because it, it gives a, a live example, I guess. For okay. Someone. So so what is it you're thinking about and feeling in that moment when you're about to take off? What is it that, that so you say it could impact you uh, I, in some way? What do you mean specifically? Um, I suppose, I guess, like if something goes wrong, whether it's like a physical injury or whether it's like mental trauma from whatever happens. Mm-hmm. I guess those would be like the two things that are probably most at the front of my mind. Okay. So what is it that's different for you? It, well, is it, I should ask, or yeah. I'd normally ask uh, in more detail. Is it different for you um, being in a plane than it is being in a car, for example? Uh I would say it depend if I'm if I'm a passenger in a car. Yeah, right. That's yeah. by the way, that That's... is that is the one that is like the, my number one question for knowing if it's a control issue. Yeah, because people don't like being a passenger in a car. Okay. Someone else. Yeah, because yeah. I I driving as an activity I don't like. However, I will always try to drive because I don't like being the passenger. So yeah. for me, probably I would say, yes, in a plane, it's much worse, but I do still feel a bit uneasy about being the passenger in a car. Okay, so tell me about it. It's much worse. What is it? Um, I don't know. I guess the... Probably the emotion that you're investing in... um, I don't know. No, well, right. Couple of, oh, you, you give me a couple of things there. Okay. So firstly, when people say, again, this is very common. When people have had fears and anxieties, they tend to refer to it as it. Yep. Um, as separating it from themselves. Now, you do not catch fear. It's not like a cold. Now, it is something you're doing subconsciously, and there are reasons in your past you've created that. But ultimately, in the moment, you have to be having a pattern of thinking. You have to be having a pattern of feeling. You have to be making images in your mind. You have to be breathing a certain way and holding yourself a certain way. And all of that creates your fear to different degrees. Mm. Um, so when people call it it, it's, it's always like, well, what if it comes back? It's like, well, what is it? The second thing you did there was go, I don't know. Yeah. Now, the thing about thoughts, feelings, and emotions is the only person that will know is you. But the thing about emotions is they're not logical. They're not rational. And when people have, um, we're taught, sorry, we're taught to live in our analytical mind. We're taught to live in our conscious mind, you know, school, education. um, That's where we live. Now, we have that other part of us, what what I would call the subconscious or unconscious, what other people call uh, the emotional brain or things like that, that's, that's storing all our emotions and all our memories. Now, this is the part, um, that is is working 
uh, when we have fears and anxieties. So often when people say, I don't know, they don't really mean they don't know. What they mean is, oh, it sounds so weird that if I said it out loud, it sounds so irrational, I don't even want to admit to it. Mm. Now, what I find, especially with anxiety-based issues, is because people are basically have a fear of the fear in, in some respects, they've, they've learned to be scared of their emotions. They've learned to fear them. So what they've done is push them down and try to live entirely in their head because they don't know how to talk to their subconscious. So they try and l control everything mentally to try and stay safe. Um, but that is a bit like uh, taking a small child that won't stop crying and locking in the cupboard. It starts to cry louder. So you spend all day trying to push away your emotions. And then when you go to sleep at night, when your subconscious is starting to kick in, mm. you, you'll start to get those thoughts or, or those bad dreams or when you have a moment silence. So trying to fight against your feelings is not the way to do it. It's about learning to speak to that part of you that doesn't work on logic or work with it, I should say. Mm. So a couple of, a couple of, oh, I went all over the place there, but a couple of uh, interesting points you, you gave me just, just through that little uh, question. So if you were to know, if you were to guess, what is it? Mm. What are you thinking and feeling in that moment? What are you picturing in your mind? Um, I think I'm probably thinking of um, like the plane exploding or... Right. And so what is it that... So you're making... And how do you do that? Because that's the other thing. How are you represent? So do you do that with an image, the images you make in your mind, with what you visualise. Do you, are you doing that with your feelings? Is it a combination? How, uh, how? I'd say it's probably. Oh, I wonder if it's more a visual thing, and then the emotion yeah. is invested in the visual thing. Right. So if you, yeah. So um, so you get the visual, and then the emotion yeah. comes up in response to it. So hey, I won't get into intervention now, but um, <laughs> just, just breaking and that's it. Breaking it down to its key components is, is a, an important starting point because people just go, as I said at the beginning, you know, I have a fear of flying and people go, oh, yeah, me too. But they can mean very different things mm. and they can be represented in very, many different ways in the moment. And of course, the causes of them can be very different. So what happened in your past to make you feel that way? So, you know, with a fear of heights. Um, so I, you're on the plane, you look out the window and go, gosh, it's high up. That's quite likely something in your past where you create a fear of heights. You know, you went up a tall building when you were five or six years old. And even though you don't consciously remember it, what happens is you look out, that becomes scared. <laughs> oh, my God. Comes... I've had a flashback and it's been like, oh, that could be it. <laughs> ah, very good. See, I'm sometimes just talking. And then do you know about Pavlov and his dogs? You know about this? No. So Ivan Pavlov was a Russian research scientist in the, um, in the oh gosh, 19th century. Okay. Uh, like early days of psychology, basically. Um, and what he did was ring a bell or ring a tuning fork, depending on the studies. And he would feed some dogs. And he'd ring a bell, feed some dogs. Ring a bell, feed some dogs. Ring a bell, feed the dogs. Now, eventually, you ring the bell and the dogs celebrate like they're about to be fed. Now, the two have no correlation except for they have linked the two. So, for example... Um, but there's a story they did in the 1960s and it just goes to show um, how awful psychologists were back then. <laughs> um, and they would, uh, it's called Little Albert. And what they would do, they would show the child a, a rat and they would bang a gong behind him. Show him a rat, bang a gong behind him. And then, of course, once he sees the rat, he instantly goes into this fear response. Now, why that's a terrible experiment, both with the dogs and, and the people, 
um, it does go to show that we are wired in the same way. So if I, um, if I, every time you did something, I rewarded it, you would learn to subconsciously link the two, even if you weren't aware of that. Yeah. Um, so you can watch Darren Brown do this for all sorts of manipulation purposes and things like that. But we're, we're doing that all the time. So for example, you know, I, um, I was walking down Edgware Road um, the other day and suddenly, and obviously it's the smell um, and, and, and of the food and, and the kind of culture, I was suddenly back. And in my mind, I was back in Egypt um, on holiday to the point. Now, normally these thoughts are fleeting, but I literally walked into the shop and went, oh, I've only got English money on me. It really stayed with me. Yeah. So, you know, a tune that played when the kiss of you kiss the love of your life, that tune can come on 10 years later and you can be and, and you will you get back to those emotions. Um, tune playing when the love of your life breaks up with you or, you know, was popular at the time. Same thing can happen. You'll be back there crying. So certain smells, certain tastes throw you back there. So what's happened with a phobia is exactly that. It's a Pavlovian response or condition reflex, um, condition response. So you've gone up, a, you've gone up that height or you've been chased by that dog or whatever it was. And in that moment, your brain goes, this equals danger on a subconscious level. And then whenever you see that thing again or experience that thing again, this fear is fired off. Now, Going back to flying, of course. Um, so you've got one with heights. What came up for you, by the way? It, it, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, when I was uh, a small child, um, yeah. at our, like our family home, um, mm -hmm. I had for a number of years this um, dream slash nightmare about waking up in the night, walking to the top of the landing, um, and then there was like a, we used to have coffee tables and telephone tables and stuff like that. Um, so mm -hmm. we had a telephone table at the bottom of the stairs. So I had this dream about always just walking to the top of the stairs. I'd fall down the stairs and hit my head on the coffee table and either just be like seriously injured or die. Or I don't know. But I'd fall down the stairs and hit my head. And I had this dream for years and years and years. And just uh -huh. as you were talking, I was thinking that's that thing. That's the like the height and the falling and that's kind of i guess it could be and it, just because i had that dream for so many years um that could be something that sort of fits in with it quite quite nicely yes, absolutely and it does and so sometimes if that that you know condition response was strong enough you might have only needed to have had that dream once mm. but certainly if it was repetitive then it's quite likely to have um reinforced it it's, yeah. it's great even stronger reinforced so you know let's let's talk away go away from phobias but maybe more to fears mm. if you've had three or four bad relationships you become conditioned to link uh, you know oh i want to be in a relationship but relationships equal pain yeah. or whatever and then your brain and then part of your mind is trying to get you to avoid it because you've associated unpleasant feelings to that mm. um and you know you can link pain or pleasure to anything it's just it's the associations and that's why some people are terrified of flying and some people become stunt pilots, you know. Um, mm. So it's it's not necessarily the thing itself, but it's the association, and you can it, it is possible to shift those. So do you think like because over the last say ten minutes, yeah, we've spoken a little bit about something, and I've discovered something about myself and been able to think yep. about it a little bit. Is that something that just anyone, if they sat down and talked quite openly with someone, could work some of that out? Um, or is it a I, case I, I of they need certain tools and knowledge to be able to do that? 
I well, I, I think certainly that this does happen. You know, you can have a conversation, and I can. So, for example, you know, I, I we just started talking about heights, but mm. for example, when I talk about turbulence, fear of turbulence, the, the two most common causes, for example, are um, fear having a turbulent flight when you're little, the most obvious, and the more abstract one is normally a theme park ride when you're little but scared mm. you, and that yeah. becomes the link. Um, but so, yeah, and sometimes when I just talk about that, people go, oh, yeah, there was that time at Chessington when this and this happened, you know, yeah. and I, I haven't thought about it till this moment. So you can, if, you rela- if you're open and you relax your mind enough to, to experience that without dismissing your thoughts. I think the problem is, again, going back to it, mm-hmm. people try and analyze and make logical sense of their emotions. So they often dismiss things and go, well, I was five, I was six. You know, I didn't really know it wasn't such a big deal. Mm. But, uh, but what happens is when you were five or six, you created the emotion at that age. So you were thinking like a six year old. Yeah. And unless you go back and change those triggers, you're still thinking like a six year old. Even even when you're in your 60s and 70s, you're still mm. firing off, off those emotions like you were six, which is why sometimes you see people upset and you can actually see them revert and suddenly they look like a toddler having a tantrum because they've actually reverted to that time in their life, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think there are certainly things like mindfulness, hypnosis, self-hypnosis, um, light and sound machines, all those things that kind of relax you. I think they do help in sort of tapping into the subconscious. So sometimes those tools are a good addition when you want to work on yourself. I think because in my mind, a lot of it is getting people to talk a lot more about some of the things that we struggle with and um, having that more open discussion. And I know that's not going to happen everywhere and all the time and with everyone, but it's being able to recognize actually I can sit down in um, the lounge at home or in the coffee shop or the the office at work um, and I can sit down and talk to Dave or Sue or whoever and actually have a little bit of a conversation about something that they're struggling with and mm. I think it's quite interesting because to me like as we spoke through um there's a couple of like key questions that you would have asked that maybe just someone wouldn't necessarily know and I think yeah. that's where maybe having like certain tools or skills come in oh but yeah that's also being able to do it in a more productive way I guess because we've kind of skimmed through that in like 10 minutes to pick up a couple of key things rather than maybe just sat there and chatted for like two hours um, with no knowledge of what kind of questions to ask. Yes. So, and I, I think this is it. I think being open is is definitely the key, but obviously you're absolutely right. Knowing what questions to ask and how language is structured in order to get a response, because for example, and, and going away slightly from what you said, you know, but a lot of people ask why, well, why do you feel that way? Now, why tends to just give you excuses. If you ask, you know, well, what's behind this or where does this come from? Um, you know, when did this start? Um, what makes you believe that? You know, you create um, very different responses. You can tap in a bit quicker. So as you say, that two hour conversation can be condensed to five minutes. Yeah, that's but that's I know. But I think absolutely being open both with yourself as well. I think there are some things but you only admit to when you're alone mm. in your, your room that you might not even admit to to your closest friends. Yeah. So sometimes having that introspection as well as being able to share. But definitely a lot of depression and and the, uh, comes from people feeling they're on, somehow on their own. And when people start talking, 
it's very you know there's many people going through the same things you are so it's important to to share that as well and i think a combination of all of them is the ideal so introspection being able to share and obviously you know seeing a professional um in whatever you want to work on as well yeah and i think that's a big thing i know a lot of people i've spoken to recently have sort of said the real benefits of um like the professional help and stuff like that they've been able to get and for a lot of people it's meant being able to afford that though whether that's through yes um counseling or whatever and a lot of it is about have you got the money to pay for it um, i think however what i will say is uh, and, and that is true for some people and yep. it depends where they are i do think a lot of people say they can't afford it when um they have just bought a widescreen telly or they've just bought PlayStation 4, or they've just bought themselves a new BMW, or whatever their sports car. So, of course, there are people that are genuinely struggling, but I think most it's how how much of a priority is your personal development. And it's okay to say, yeah, I'm okay. Actually, a widescreen TV and Netflix is actually going to help me relax more than yeah. seeing someone. But fine, if, yeah. if, but, but make your peace with that decision, you yeah. know. Um, uh, but it, it, some, I think some people don't prioritise their mental health enough as well. I think that can come in. So, I think that's really important as well. Like you say, just recognising it doesn't have to be about saying this is more. It's just being able to recognise yeah. that as well. One of the other yeah. things as well is um, jumping back a little bit when we were talking yeah. about the. You sort of said not looking at why, but looking at um, something else. And yeah. do you think sometimes when we say, "Well, why do you feel that?" it means that the other person feels like they have to sort of justify the emotion a little bit more. I think, I think that, yeah, I think that's it. And I, I think also because it's a question where we've asked so often for our, like, you know, like the three year old, but why, but why, but why? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think it becomes a, a, a rehearsed answer rather than a deeply thought about answer when, like I say, I mean, my, my favorite question is what do you need to believe in order to feel that way? If you ask them on that, you often get. Um, obviously, there's a timing, and I wouldn't do it in the pub necessarily. But, <laughs> um, but you know, what do you need to believe in order to feel that way? You, you'll instantly get someone's subconscious beliefs if if they answer the question. Mm. Um, there was I, I taught my niece something. Um, so again, uh, at school, and I really shouldn't. Oh, I don't know if I should say this. Um, but basically. At school, you know, the kids go, why? And the teacher goes, because I said so. Mm. And, um, you know, why are we learning this, miss? Because I said so. And I said, well, why don't you ask the teacher for what purpose are we learning this? Yeah. And, um, and of course, the teacher couldn't answer that because she had to actually justify. She actually had to go in and think about the reasons behind it. So it just kind of Just because they're not used to being asked yeah. that question. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God, you yeah. asked me an agile question. <laughs> so that's, that's, so if kids want to, piss off their teachers that that's uh, <laughs> that's a good <laughs> not recommending that but and if it's a genuine question well you know yeah. it is important to know so it, it, i guess it depends on on the reason someone's asking as well well i know i've spoken to people before on a podcast that are currently studying um uh mental health fitness and a, a range of different sort of health related things yeah um and it is interesting to hear kind of essentially a similar kind of question go through their mind on some of the units that they do and um the things that they're put through and i think yeah. well they're obviously there there is a purpose there's a reason why this is more important than something else and that's why this is part of your course um yeah. sometimes it comes back to that like the ability of um, the the tutor, the teacher, whoever, um, to say 
this is why this is part of the course yes it it isn't good maybe it's not an essential thing for you to know in life but this is the reason why yeah. we are studying or we are looking at this and i think too often it sort of falls back on oh well it's part of the test i'm like no that's not the test is to make sure that the knowledge is there there's a reason why you're being taught this before it's being tested yeah um but i think because like you say too often i guess the wrong or maybe not the wrong but the not the correct question is being asked to sort of source that information yes absolutely absolutely um so having spoken about sort of mental health to quite a few different people now i don't know what's your experience i guess when you speak to people that have maybe um gone through like a particularly traumatic thing that's resulted in trauma or those that maybe just aren't able to say oh there's not like this one identifier i just now struggle with um is there like a real difference in people's experience of like those struggles or are they quite similar yeah i mean i think i think everyone's different i i think um there are i think there are patterns to, to people's um to what creates fears and, and traumas in people but um I think how deeply it sets in and how debilitating it seems to vary depending on the person. Some people, you know, I think it was actually one that was going around Facebook a lot, uh, which I really liked. And have you seen it with the addiction? So it's two two brothers, and and it's uh, and the and they go, you know, well, why are you an alcoholic? And he goes, because I watch my dad. And the other one goes, ah, so how come you're teetotal? Because because I watch my dad, you know. So. The meaning we give these events can often, yeah. you know, whatever we subconsciously meet, make it mean can change our whole life, really, in yeah. those moments. Um, but, yeah, there are a few key patterns, although, you know, like I say, it can depend. Um, and one, one, well, one of the uh, very rare that I actually prep any questions. Um, yeah. but one of the things I did notice was that um, on your website, it mentions that you dropped out of school or didn't complete schooling or something like that. Um, well, I, I, I initially didn't complete schooling. Yes, I initially dropped out at 16. I did actually go back um, later on and, and I did complete schooling and I got a degree as well. But because uh, um, I took a, a more vocational route and then went back into university. Basically. Oh, because I just thought it'd be interesting to hear how kind of that starting well, off at that stage to come all the way through to yeah. be... Well, I was bored. I mean, I was... So the good thing and the bad thing is at a very young age, I was labelled with dyslexia, mm. which, you know, um, is a label. And I'm not a big fan of putting people in boxes, but it was good to know. Yeah. And, and the reason I got tested was because my intellect was way above my writing and reading ability. Yeah. So they knew something was up. So I'm glad that I didn't get labelled, you know, back then at school. It would have been I'd have been in the dumb class, basically. So I got a lot of help with that. Um so it meant really that I left school at 16 because I didn't really like exams or writing. Um, but of course, at, at 16, you didn't really have a lot of options. And then I found more practical things that I could do that I studied. And I did, um, uh, what, what would it have been then, BTEC back then. Yeah. And then I, I did very well at that. And then I was able to transfer that and go to university. And it's funny, I remember... Um, with my, you know, when I went to do the BTEC, I was like, oh, this is equivalent A-levels. I can't do this. And I, I did really well. Mm. And then when I went to, you know, going to go to university, I had the same fears come up. And, uh, you know, and talking of fears, that that was a big one for me. Public speaking, you know, doing what we're doing now even. Yeah. Would have been um, 
terrifying for me, you know, um, back then, because I remember being made to stand up and read out a book um, at school. And of course, I couldn't read. I had never read the book before. So I mess up the lines. And, you know, school kids being school kids, they all yeah. burst out laughing and point and go. Ugh. And then, of course, you, you make that again. You make that Pavlovian decision. I'm never standing in front yeah. of people again. I'm never going to be in the spotlight. And that can be. And that doesn't necessarily mean public speaking. That also means you become shy or withdrawn or mm. so. Yeah. But uh, so that, that was an interesting journey, really, for me. This is really interesting. Do you think that's something that you developed as a skill, um, like through life? Or was it particularly at uni? Because I know for me, I'd say quite similar. Like I'm dyslexic and I yeah. would always avoid that um, the role of being the person that has to do the group writing or the group speaking or anything like that. I, was, I would talk in front of like two people and that would probably be my limit. Yeah. Um, no. And I think Sorry, for me, like at uni, because it was part of, uh, essentially it's part of our course. Like we had to present at the end, um, we had to deliver like a 20 or 30 minute single uh, presentation so it's part of the course so through that they try to stagger your I guess ability and your confidence in group speaking um, and I think that was one of the key things I took away and I think I was fortunate because essentially because it was part of the course it was part of the way I was being tested they had to develop that skill within us um, so I was really fortunate in that way but do you think that's something that maybe you or people in general kind of develop at uni or no well i didn't at uni in fact um carrying on while i was quite good at the subject yeah the first year the i forget what subject it was but the lecturer goes right so you're going to do a presentation um you can do right now saying you can do a presentation and i forget let's say the presentation was about 30 percent of the mark yep. and i the first time and i couldn't do it so i made the bright bright idea um of trying to drink because uh, i was a student <laughs> to do it and literally, and my friend at the time knew I was terrified and said, look, just just say three lines and I'll ask questions. I'll, I'll ask questions and then you'll be fine. Yeah. And um, and it, and, it, and I could, he couldn't ask a question because he couldn't understand anything I was saying. For the, <laughs> so I literally spoke for about 30 seconds and then sat back down. And I, again, that just reinforced that I'm never doing that again. Yeah. And then subsequent years when they said, oh, the presentation is 30 percent of the mark. I skipped the grade. I was like, I'd rather, no, I'm not going to do it. So yeah. I'll just lose 30%. Um, it wasn't until much later, really, when I learned the psychology tools, when the intervention tools of changing um, your fears, that really I was able to get up. And even then it was a slow start. Um, so I learned some tools. And the more I started to do it with implementing these tools, because the problem is if if you don't change the emotional link and you just try and sometimes power through, yeah. sometimes actually in that case, like school, university cemented that belief rather than rather than reduced it. You know, so it's kind of you have the more you do it in a relaxed way, the more it becomes better. Um, so I, I got to and I got to a place where I was, you know, reasonably good. But uh, yeah, it, it was uh I, I, you know, I subconsciously I'd made the decision back that I was never going to stand up no matter what, you know, and that, of course, is not just about public speaking. That's about job interviews and everything else that goes with it, being able to talk to make friends, you know. Um, but I, I think one of the when I was learning how to train people in these tools, the, the big thing that stuck with me most was 
um, the teacher stood up there, the trainer stood up there, mentor, whatever you want to call them. And he said, you know, in order to be afraid of speaking, and I've used this line a lot, but mm. invent it, you have to be focused inward. You have to be thinking about how you feel about, am I being judged? Is this going on? If you're thinking about what can I give my audience? How can I serve the room? It will be impossible for you to be afraid. Mm. And so in the nicest possible way, if you are if you have a fear of public speaking on some level, you're kind of being selfish because you're thinking about yourself. Um, so that was a very good line that stuck with me, really. That's cool. I think my thing kind of touching on that was always the... It was the it was the fear that you were talking and someone else would know more, or yes, yeah, essentially, a, yeah, yeah, around that. And I think my thing was always then trying to think of um, like I'll make sure I've done loads of research on whatever I'm talking about, or um, try to find out about the people that you're going to talk to as well, so you feel like oh, actually, I know that they're focuses on this and i want to talk about this so i know more um or having um like little props that again distract the attention from you to the prop (laughs) um go to my powerpoint which is why people which is why people sometimes have massive powerpoints so they can also so they can prompt themselves of every every sentence they need to say i just i can i and i think that was so yeah powerpoint was a really cool and an interesting thing because um, I knew a few people that would go for, like, let's get as much information on here as possible. And I understand potentially why I could have done something like that. So it's like, oh, people have got that to read. Yeah. Um, but then for me, there would be more chance of error because you can see what I'm meant to be saying. Um, <laughs> so it helped me get to a stage where I was like, no, I want a picture or I want two words because it's a prompt for me. But at the same time, if I get it wrong or say something different, you don't know because you don't know what I was going to say. Yes. Um, so it was, it was quite a nice way to get to well, but I mean, we're going slightly off. But yeah, yeah, I mean, but then PowerPoints are not supposed to be your script. Yeah. They are supposed to be points that people can look at and listen to you. So they should be different in yeah. fairness. If you've got your whole script up there, then yeah. you've gone you've gone too much. But what I was going to say on that as well, but conf- when you're confident in public speaking, when you've mastered it and you see the most confident speakers, they don't know everything and they know they don't know everything yeah. and they're open to it. So if someone goes, well, what about this and this study? They, they go, you know what? I haven't, haven't come across that. Please no. share. You know, they don't, they don't take it as a person that they're not good enough. They just go, that's not, that's not an area I've covered. Oh, yeah. well maybe share, maybe you can share it with me in the break. I'd love to hear, yeah. you know, they don't. And, and so it, it's not that you have to know everything. It's, it's that you, you just know what you know and that's mm-hmm. okay. I think being a, and the more you're okay with that, the better it is somehow, you know. The more you can be confident with who you are, um, the less those things phase you. Mm, definitely. And I think like anything else, I guess, it's that idea of kind of starting and talking about it and again saying, actually, you know, when I went up and did that, like that bit was really good, um, that bit I struggled with, or this is why I found it difficult. And again, being open to just talking about some of the things that we struggle with, but also talking about some of the things that we're good at, which yes. we inherently don't do. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I'm OK at that. But we won't go into depth. I don't really want to big myself up. It's like <laughs> there's a lack of acknowledgement of the successes that we have as well. Yes. And, and, I, and I, um, I also think there's another level to that because the, 
as I said at the beginning, you know, fear has a has a recipe, if you like. There's something with your thoughts, feelings, pictures, breathing. Success also has a recipe in the sense that when you well, happiness or whatever you want, positive emotions, mm. you're doing something with the pictures you make, with the feelings, with what you say in your head, you know. And and the more you can actually become aware of how you do positivity, um, the easier it is to to rather than it being something like I say that just turns up, the more you can be aware of how you create it in yourself, the more you can take control of that and do it more often, really as well. Mm. So, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the number of times people come to me and I go, okay, tell me about times you felt bad, and they can list them like that, and then I go, okay, tell me about a time you felt really happy, and they'll spend 20 minutes going, um, well, I'm sure there are some, and we, again, and I, I think it's, uh, you know, again, it's it's work, it, it's school, it's a lot of these things where, you know, all the red marks, you know, your, your, your evaluation is here's one thing you do right, and here's the 20 things you need to improve, and I think mm. we are, again, taught to focus on what's wrong rather than what's right very often. I know um, I had this, it's a really cool activity that we did um, in a group therapy session that I went along to. And oh, yeah. Um, they had, uh, so you have like, um, did they do it? I think they did it with marbles, and I've done it for a different group with like a clear box, but something that you can see into. Um, and you put in something dark, so it could be like a beanbag, a marble, a ball. Like I've used stress balls for it before. Um, oh, yeah. So you get everyone in the room to sort of say, all right, um, you're going to put in the, the dark, whatever it is, ball, um, and say one thing that um, is like a negative aspect in your life. It can be a big thing. It can be a small thing. So the groups that I've done it with before, like the range is massive. It can be from like I'm rubbish at playing games to like my boyfriend left me or my parent died or whatever. Um, so they put in the the, like the, ne- the dark coloured ball and you do that for all the people that are in the room and sort of show them, look, um, these are all the negative things that are going on in our lives and um, if we work really, really hardly, you might be able to remove like one or two of those, but they're still going to be like the other 20 things that are in there. Yeah. It doesn't change the outlook. It's still all black and all dark. Um, so then you go around and um, get someone to put in like a light-coloured marble or stress ball or whatever for something that's good in their lives. Um, yeah. And I've done this even with just half the amount. Um, and again, range is massive from like, yeah, I'm good at whatever to I'm in a loving relationship and I've got good health. Um, so they drop in those balls. Uh, and then you sort of look at it again and again through the clear um, perspective, you can see that actually all of that negative stuff is still in there. We've not removed any of that. It's still there. We're still acknowledging it. Um, but the outlook has changed dramatically because we're giving recognition to some of the good stuff that we have in our lives as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it just really stuck with me because it was so simple. Um, and just, I don't know, I think as a male as well, you need the visual sometimes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my, it's so true. And it's a really nice way to put some stuff across about actually, um, like, yes, we can acknowledge the negative stuff. And that is hard to deal with but also let's acknowledge some of the positive stuff as well well absolutely and i i i mean one of the the few things that almost every form of what you want to call psychology change work self-help motivation they all agree on i think it's the only thing i found that they all agree on is gratitude if you can practice um you know like so one of the good exercises is just at the end of the day think of three things you're grateful for 
you know, and if you're really in a negative mindset, it's the fact I'm still here or whatever, you know, there's always something. If you start cultivating that gratitude, you start to feel better. And the more you feel better, the the, the more you'll do things that make you feel better. It becomes self-fulfilling mm. um, because we, we're weirdly wired that way. It's like if you look in the mirror and you're going, you know, I'm looking I'm looking pretty good. Mm. You actually then go and eat the salad when normally if you look in the mirror and go, I'm looking pretty I'm looking pretty overweight. Then you go and eat the burger. It's the exact opposite of what you should do sometimes. And I think that's true with emotions. You know, if you're in a bad space, you start to focus on all the things that are wrong, mm. uh, what you call state-dependent memory, and then you create more things in your life that are wrong. And then you go, oh, what am I here? Life is pointless. So if you start cultivating gratitude and practicing that, that's a great exercise, by the way. Mm. Uh, those kind of things, um, you, you start to see more opportunity and then your life grows more. Mm, I think that's true. I, I was trying to think <laughs> how many times I've had burgers in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> like, oh, dear, that's not great. <laughs> and again, that and it's again. I'm not saying you you shouldn't. I'm saying yeah. what is the but it's it, it's doing it from that place of oh god, I'm down. I better eat rubbish versus yeah. oh, I'm looking. You know, it's it's uh, when I've, you need yeah, stuff I've probably most done both. when you use it so go ahead <laughs> I've probably done both I think I've had the I feel good yeah let's go and have a burger and I, oh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like crap let's go and have a burger <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the problem I'm doing it for both <laughs> yes. so yeah but again you know where you're and, and you know so I was talking about state dependent memory and this is true for relationships as well you know um, and I often hear this. So, for example, if your partner, if you've got a partner, has, has, has uh, you know, you're pissed off with them, mm. you will go into your mind to all the times they have pissed you off. You're suddenly, oh, we had that argument. We had that argument. Why am I with them? And then if you're happy with your partner, you know, whatever it is, your, your mind will go to all the times you're happy. And I, I think that's true of all emotions, you know, of all things in our life, that where we train ourselves to go, what state we're in will determine how we feel about the past and the future, you know. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's definitely with the relationship sides of um, the example you've just given. And I know earlier on we mentioned things around sort of the fear of relationships as well. And yes. That's definitely something that I associate with as well in terms of like that idea that um, like, oh, dating is fine, but an actual relationship is really scary because you worry about what happened last time, is it going to happen this time? And um, you can overinvest in, like you say, that, um, I think a lot of it is that secondary emotion. It's it's okay to have that fear. It's the fear of the fear, uh, yes. essentially. And yeah. um, I think being able to recognise that is quite a big thing. And that's that's going to come from talking to people. Um, if you kind of sit on your own and dwell on it, there's only so so much further you can go with that because you're not getting any additional information. You're not bouncing it off of someone. Even sometimes I think just saying things out aloud how different do they sound when you say them yes. to how you think they sound when they're in your head um i've had a couple of times when i've just been at home on my own and you sort of end up starting to talk to yourself and you're like oh my god that's just it just sounds really weird when it comes out your mouth and you're like oh i don't is that really what i think and it's exactly to my point because emotions aren't logical you suddenly kind of go really where did yeah. that come from? Well, that doesn't make any sense, really. Do I? Yeah, when, as you say, sometimes just just saying it out loud can help. Um, but sometimes also you need to actually change those triggers. So, for example, traumatic events and fearful events 
mm. are not normally solved just through talk therapy. And you actually need to do intervention. You need to change that emotional uh, link as well. Mm. I tend to find. Kind of touching on that, I know yeah. you've got um, a range of stuff like available through your website and um, other things that you're kind of doing at the moment. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of that stuff as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I have ver- um, I have various tips uh, videos out there and you can watch me do interventions. Some of them will seem a bit strange because, you know, some of them uh i don't like the term especially if people suffer from anxiety i'm more hypnotic based but that's because people don't really understand what hypnotherapy is yeah um but i would say tapping into their emotional brain um so there's talk so i have uh, interventions out there i have various tips videos and on the website i have some free downloads which have sort of questionnaires guidebooks and um audios that can help people sort of guided audios relaxation audios um, for I have some for anxiety and stress. I have one for general phobias, and I have one specifically for flying as well. And they're currently available for free on my website. And what is your website? Uh, my website is it's quite easy to remember. It's my name, so it's ChristopherPaulJones.com. Uh, oh, that's nice and easy. I did. And have, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I've noticed on on the site as well. It mentions or sort of states you as with your title the the breakthrough expert i wonder yes. if, if there was a was there a big story behind how the name came up or um it, we were trying to think uh, long ago just thinking of a tagline to try and sum up all the different tools i did and what i gave clients and and that was the biggest when i kind of survey clients oh you gave me a breakthrough oh, okay uh you didn't give me understanding you didn't give me that you gave me a breakthrough i broke through my problems oh, yeah that's cool uh, so i went for that and yeah. i don't know initially it's funny because initially i thought oh does it sound a bit american or a little too you know a little too motivational speakerish but people seem to like the titles yeah. stuck with it. um so, uh, it's funny. It, it is funny when you ask people about the titles and stuff because there's a mixture of like kind of common sense answers like you've just given, and some are yeah. absolutely crazy. And you're like, <laughs> oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a great story, but you're relying on someone asking what the story is. <laughs> yes. How did you come up with your name? It was just yeah. It was a, it was a you know, it's just a tagline people would remember and, and people, uh, that's what clients said. So, mm. I mean, I would say that actually, if someone is, is looking for uh, something that sums up the work they do, if they are in uh, therapy or coaching, you know, ask your clients, what, yeah. what, what, what did I do for you? And you'll find that while you think you're unique for everyone, um, you'll find there'll be a couple of common, common words mm. that will come up. Mm. I, th- I think it's been really interesting just to just talk through some of those things and obviously i've got a bit more out of it because i've got to sit here and talk to you and we've spoken about some of my <laughs> we could have we could have gone deeper into the intervention now <laughs> I, and, I feel uh... like you've been very kind to me <laughs> <laughs> um but i think a lot of it like it like we said it, it's it's about making time to sit down and talk and um hopefully i think from listening to this that people are able to realize that yeah i've been fortunate that you've known a couple of the key questions to ask but actually um a lot of it is just from two people talking about some of the stuff that's gone on and um the the different reasons that might have affected that or how it makes us feel and and why that is and um that just comes from talking and i think that's a, a really important thing for so many people to do whether that's around um phobias anxiety or other mental health illnesses um i think 
in my mind, like flying, because it's maybe a more acceptable thing to talk about in terms yeah. of like your anxiety and your fear. Is it's potentially a nice conversation starter for some people? Like, yes, they're more I, than I, happy to talk about that. Yes, I think that's. I, I I think I had that conversation with someone. Phobias are actually something that people can admit to in the pub. They go, oh yeah, I have a fear of speaking. I have a fear of mm. flying. A lot of people will admit to that when they won't admit to having, you know, more more uh, certain other issues. They won't admit to it. Um, or they, they often, this is gets me with anxiety. Mm. A lot of people don't like the label anxiety. And I say, I'm not a fan of labels, Yeah. but it's funny when they're running, when they're having panic attacks and they're going, yeah, I'm not anxious. And I think, especially men, I, I'm going to yeah, stereotype yeah, yeah. as there is something about men thinking that emotions are somehow weakness. Mm. And uh, again, you know, there was one of the, the guys from the peep show whose name forget, I forget who did a great video about how men are hardwired really, you know, through society to, yes. to the only emotion they're really taught to be okay is anger, you know. Um, so I think accepting emotions like that, but they think anxiety is weakness. Mm. They think if I get worked up, um, or they, they see anxiety as hiding in the corner. Now, anxiety is often the fight response. So you've got the fight, flight, fight, flight or freeze response. Mm. You have the fight response. That's someone who's angry all the time. Someone who's angry all the time actually has a lot of fear going on, has a lot of anxiety going on. Um, now, I wouldn't necessarily say that to a seven-foot skinhead who was angry, <laughs> but uh, they're very afraid. And um, it's about exploring that. The other thing that people do with anxiety is they label it as stress, and that is somehow a badge of honor because they work 16 hour days and somehow that's to be rewarded in this society not mm. to be worked on which is fascinating as well I think it was it kind of clicked in my head almost as you were sort of saying that as well that the difference between the idea of a phobia and anxiety the surely the phobia thing the phobia if I've got a phobia of spiders and I have anxiety around them yeah. And I, I can be okay about saying, oh, I've got phobia of spiders. But would I say spiders make me anxious? I don't know that I... Yes. Yeah. And it's exactly the same... Well, arguably exactly the same thing. And yet that little bit of language is something that we would avoid actively, yes. I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as I say, you just call it... If, if you, if you want to... If, if you want to appeal to a high achiever type A personality, you just call it stress. And then and they'll go, yeah, I've got stress. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm prepared to acknowledge that. <laughs> I've got stress about spiders. Yeah, I've got stress about spiders. Yeah. Oh, the power of language. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed just sitting down and having a chat through quite a few things. Yeah, right? it's been fascinating. It's, it's cool. And it's nice to, again, it's nice to talk to someone else from a slightly different background and who has got a little uh, slightly different perspective on kind of mental health and actually go through and hear about some of the stuff that you're doing as well. So um, I know you've got a range of different stuff that we've briefly spoken about, um, some yeah. of the free products um, and your website. If people want to find out a little bit more about you, where else can they go to? Well, I say they can go to my website at ChristopherPaulJones.com or they can go on YouTube if they want uh, tips. So they can either to put my name in the uh, YouTube bar, Christopher Paul Jones, mm. and I think it's either me and some guitarist, so I'm not the guitarist. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll be the other one. And um, Or you can type in um, www.breakthroughexperttv.com, and that will take you to all my videos as well. Cool stuff. Well, thank you very much for coming on and for talking a bit about your own story as well. It's been really interesting. 
Yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Cool. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye.